Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Um, So we're reading this morning from the book of John. Um, If you picked up a Bible in the foyer, it's on page 861. Um, The words are also going to be on the screen um, behind me so you can follow along. And we're reading um, verses 14 to 18. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the father has made him known. Good morning. Welcome to church, everybody. My name's Ross. If we haven't met, I'm a senior pastor here. And yeah, it's just a privilege to be here together. And if, um, yeah, I just want to thank you if you're here for the first time or back to church for the first time in a long time. Thanks for spending your Sunday morning with us. Uh, As Ben talked a lot about, uh, as a church, we see ourselves as a family. We're built on community. We're built on knowing each other and trusting each other and doing life together. And we do that revolved around God. And we know God through Jesus. So we're going to spend a bit of time now investigating what does that mean to know God, to live with him. Uh, so I'm going to pray now that God might help us to understand that he can open our eyes in a sense. And that uh, we can dig a bit deeper into what we just read. Please pray with me. Dear Father, we thank you for uh, reaching out to us through Jesus. We thank you that you didn't leave us alone in this world, but you have answers. Thank you that you don't just watch on from a distance, but you enter into our mess. Lord, please help us to see you this morning. Help us to know who you are and how to trust in you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. There's something about famous people that's got us intrigued that we can't get enough of. There's uh, all these paparazzi photos that we we just want to know, particularly Harry and Meghan. We want to know, are they real? Are they the real deal? Are they genuine people? And I think it's, I want to compare them. Because they seem to have it all together. You know, do they always look that good? Do they always wake up in the morning, you know, with their hair and makeup done? They were always that happy. I want to know how genuine they are. So when this photo comes out, a lot of people are really divided. Is this stalking Megan as she's walking the dogs in a park in her alone time with her bodyguards? Uh, or are we, do we have a right to investigate? What are these people about? It's interesting when the paparazzi guy who took the photo was questioned on this. So, should you really be hiding in the bush when she's walking her dogs? Like, isn't that intrusion of privacy? And he's like, to me, it's worth 200 grand for a shot like that. He got paid 200 Aussie dollars. It's worth camping out in a bush early in the morning or even overnight for 200 grand to get a pic like that. And he went on to explain a picture of Megan or Harry. Uh, in a candid way, not the set-up posed photos, but in a candid way, is worth about 200 grand. If you get Megan and Harry together in a candid way, it's worth about 500 grand. If you get what he calls the Trinity, Harry, Megan and Archie together in a candid photo, it could be worth about a million dollars, he's saying. 
And it's like, is this right that this happens? But they go on to say, it's, they're not doing this. We all want to see it. We want to see, are they real people? So we don't want the pose photos. We want the candid ones. And another paparazzi guy goes on to explain, they're not bothered, as in we, the readers, they're not bothered about nice, fancy pictures. They want pictures of Harry getting drunk and Megan out having dinner with her hair not done. That's what they want. That's all they're interested in. He's talking about us. And I kind of go, yeah, you're right. That's what I'm interested in. I want to know, are they genuine people? Are they real people? Can I relate to them? Or even a bigger question, can they even relate to me? And this is the, the big thing with them moving to Canada now. It's like they're moving into next door. Are we going to get a real picture of what are they really like? Now, as much as we're obsessed with people like this and knowing that, can we relate to them? I think a lot of us have that same feeling about God. That God seems to be so far off in a distance that he is, if you took a paparazzi shot of God, he's up in the clouds, he's got the halo, he's got not a care in the world, he doesn't have to worry about viruses getting around or the breathing in smoke or any of the hassles like that. He's in his own little perfect world that he's so far off that does he even relate to us? Or do, can we even relate to him that he's so far off? If we could get paparazzi shots of God, you know, what is he really like? Is he always like that? What is he like? Can we really know him? Can we relate to him? Uh, is he the genuine, the real deal that, that we can draw near to him? See, these are the big questions that have been going around for a long, long time, generations, even hundreds of years, pretty much ever since humanity was around, is can we actually know God? And when, as a church here, to answer the big questions like that, we do believe God reveals himself to us, and we look dig deep in, into the Bible, which is the way God reveals himself, and there we see um, a guy called John, and we had his... Uh, a bit of his book read out for us a little bit earlier, the Gospel of John, and it's his story because he was around with Jesus. He's one of Jesus' best mates. He was his disciple of Jesus, hung around Jesus for about three years, and he come up with some particular conclusions about who Jesus was. It's almost like it's not just a paparazzi shot from a bush. This is a guy who lived around Jesus for three years. We want to know what he says, what he thinks. Could Jesus be a way of understanding God? So that's why we dig deep into Scripture here at Southside to go, we want to know, how, how is this going to be revealed to us? And if we dig deeper, John goes on to, to explain. Uh, he, this is uh, in his first chapter. He, John writes this big letter, a scroll. We've come along later and put in chapters and verses to help us uh, understand the flow of it and stuff. But he says in his first, very first chapter, and he gives us a bit of a summary of what he thinks. He says, the word became flesh. And when he says the word, words are kind of, uh, this is written, first century Roman Empire. They spoke mostly Greek. Uh, and it's a Greek kind of word. Word is kind of a nickname for God because words give us answers. They give us meaning. And if you want to know the answers and meaning to life, you look to God, particularly the word of God. So he's kind of, it's a Greek thing. The word became flesh. God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He says we know what God is like. We know we can relate to him because he's actually come into our world. This is God. 
that we have the Father and the Son and He sent the Son into our world to put on flesh, to be with us, to walk with us, so we can know Him and for Him to know us. And we're given in the first half of the book of John, uh, His letter, He gives us all these examples of how Jesus has entered into our world. And He comes up with stories like they're at the wedding banquet. They're at the, a wedding and Weddings in the Middle East can go for days, which sounds like a lot of fun, uh, but in this wedding, the drink runs out. There's no more wine. It sort of took the fun out of the wedding then. So the, uh, Jesus' mother, Jesus' mother Mary, is on to Jesus, like, we've got to fix this problem. We need some wine. And, you know, everything's shut. Where are we going to get this from? Jesus, then through a process, a ceremonial process, like, Lots of symbolism going on. That's another story. But he turns water into wine, and not just a little bit of wine, but a lot of wine, and not just cheap wine, sour wine, but good wine, they say. This is amazing. This is fantastic. And you kind of go, who does that? Who can do that? You've got to have supernatural powers to do that. Does that teach us something about Jesus? Well, yeah, it does. But there's also something bigger going on because in the Old Testament hundreds of years earlier, God said through one of his prophets, Joel, that he's going to come and give his people, uh, the people were going through a time of famine, and God said, I'm going to come into your world and give you uh, abundance. He said, not only abundance in food, but I'm going to give you abundance in wine. You know, wine's that symbol of you're doing okay. Not just good wine, he says new wine, good wine, but not just a bit of it. He says, I'm going to make your vats overflow with wine. He sort of really emphasised this wine back in Joel. So when you get hundreds of years later, some guy turning up, turning water into wine, good wine, lots of wine, you kind of go, hang on a minute, I've heard this story before. God is going to come into our world and do these things, and here's this guy come in, he's turning water into wine, could this be God? John says, there's something going on here that we need to take notice of. He's, he's entering into our world, even in the good times, he's saying it's so much better when God's involved. But he also comes into our mess, into our loneliness as well. John tells another story about where Jesus and his disciples are walking through an area. They go through an area called Samaria. Now, Samaria, you've got to understand, there's uh, the Samaritans and the Jews. They don't like each other. They really don't like each other. In fact, the, the Jews have this rule that if you're in the marketplace and you're selling your pottery and you've got it laid out and a Samaritan walks by, if he touches it, you've got to destroy that bit of pottery. Even if he walks past and his shadow goes across your pottery, you've got to destroy it because it's been contaminated by a Samaritan. We don't like them. They're corrupt. They're sinful. They're bad. Stay away from Samaritans. Here's Jesus taking his disciples through an area uh, called Samaria where the Samaritans live. It's in the middle of the day, it's hot, he goes to the well to get a drink and there's a woman at the well and he meets this woman. If you're wise in that area, it's Middle East, it's hot, you get your water at the start of the day, here's this woman all alone for some reason, she can't do it when everybody else is doing it, it's like she's a social outcast. She has to go in the middle of the day. Jesus meets up with her and talks to her about water and asking for a drink, and then he reveals that he knows all this stuff about her, that, uh, that she is struggling and had a, had a lifetime of rejection and uh, not being able to, to settle down and trust anybody. She's been married five times, and now with a man that she's not married to. And she's going, how do you know this stuff about me? Like, are you from God? And he's like, well, yeah. 
And then he says, instead of you giving me a cup of water, how about I give you living water? Water that will quench your thirst. You'll no longer be thirsty again. And he's talking about that whole relational thing, the trust thing, the I can, I can be safe with you. Because she's never experienced that before. But Jesus says, I'm here for you. And then the disciples walk in and go, what are you doing, Jesus? We're in Samaria. You're talking to a Samaritan and a woman. What are you thinking? And Jesus going, hey, this is what I come for, for the lonely, the hurt, the broken. This is the world that Jesus walked in. He knows us. He knows when we're hurting and he knows what we need. This is not shying away from. All the Jewish leaders would not be seen in that area. I reckon if they were seen talking to a Jew, they would lose their rights at the temple. But Jesus is going, no, no, I'm here for these people. I'm here for the broken. But then he even walks into our saddest situations. See, Jesus had some friends, uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, two sisters and a brother. And there was an occasion where Lazarus was really sick Jesus wasn't around. He was in another town with his disciples. Got married. Uh, got married. Got uh, the message. Message and Mary. Sort of go, you end up with Mary. Uh, Jesus got a message from Mary that, hey, Lazarus is sick. We think he's going to die. Can you come? Because we know you can heal sick people. And Jesus is like, no, no, let's not rush back. Let's just take our time. He'll be right. But in the meantime, he dies. Lazarus dies, his friend dies. Uh, in that culture, they've got to bury the bodies fairly quickly, no refrigeration, things like that. So they've had the funeral. Who's at the funeral? Well, not Jesus. And Mary and Martha are like, you're our friend. You're not only here to save our brother Lazarus, but you're not even here to support us with the, at the funeral when we're saying goodbye to our brother. So when Jesus does turn up three days later, Mary and Martha meet him on the road and just say, where were you? You're our friend. You could have helped us out, but you weren't here. You could have made everything better. Where were you? And they're in tears in front of Jesus. Now Jesus, being God, could say, look, I've got this great party trick I'm going to show you. I'm going to raise him from the dead. You know, just watch this. But he doesn't. He actually feels their pain. Actually knows, actually... They've lost their brother. They're hurt because Jesus let them down. So it says he actually cries. He cries with them. But then he goes to the tomb, asks for the stone to be rolled away, then calls Lazarus out, raises him from the dead. Raises him from the dead. So he not only enters a world that's hurt and broken, not only can he make it better in raising a dead man, which raises a whole bunch of issues, not just who can do that, he's got to be God, who can raise the dead, but he's actually understood where we are and what we need and what we crave for. He actually comes into our world and experiences it himself. Often we get this picture of God, he's up on the cloud and he just lacks emotion, he just watches on, maybe an angry God, but no, he enters into our world, cries with us, has wine with us at the party, and picks us up and includes us when we're lonely. He comes into our world and does all that. And John says, I know it. I was there. I saw it. John the, John the disciple even quotes another John, John the Baptist, 
He goes on to say in the very next verse, John, he's talking about John the Baptist, testified concerning him being Jesus. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So John the Baptist come as a prophet. Everybody thought he was amazing because he's talking the words of God. He's turning people's lives around. Everybody thought John the Baptist was the man. John the Baptist goes, no, no, it's not about me. It's about this guy. The one that's going to come after me is God himself. He was before me, like before time, and he'll go after me, the one company's got. And now this is him. It's not me, it's about him. So the John the disciple's going, I saw it, I was there. John the Baptist saw it, he was there. Everybody around saw it. John says the word became flesh. God became flesh, lived amongst us in our world. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what he's like. He was in our world. We saw him. We know him. What they're saying is this, this is much more than just a famous person, a good person that people might write about historically. It's much bigger than that. Because if we, know, if we knew a famous person, well, like we've all met someone famous, right? And we all know what that feels like. Just me? I'm not the only one to me. I'll tell you this story. I met someone famous, actually rubbed shoulders with the famous, I've got to say. There was this time, you'd know this guy, Jack Thompson, right? I told you, someone famous, right? Uh, Australian actor back in the day, uh, but Australian actor. We were on a road trip, we'll come back from Sydney, back up to Queensland, and um, yeah, you get about Grafton, car needs fuel, you need to have a toilet stop, go into the toilet, go walk up to the urinal, who's there staring at the urinal? Jack Thompson. And it's like, whoa, is this real? I've got to pinch myself. I'm standing next to Jack Thompson. And you go, what do you do in that, in that moment of time? What do you talk about? What's your next movie? What's it going to be like? While you're standing at the urinal. Do you pull out your photo, take a selfie? It's like, look who I'm with. While you're standing at the urinal. Got out of there so quick, I couldn't wait to tell Kim in the car. She had a similar response to you. Jack who? <laughs> but it's like what these guys are saying, this is so much bigger. This is so much bigger than someone famous, so much bigger than just somebody you should know. This is somebody who's come into our world who understands me. You should have a look at them. You should know them because they've come into our world and they know us. And it's even bigger than that. Because when Jesus comes into our world, we're fully understood, but we're also fully loved. And we can see that because he then invites us into his world. Jesus then invites us into his world, to take us out of our mess. Now we see that in the first half of John, basically, is all these stories about Jesus. This how he knows us. But then the second half of John, Jesus is uh, sitting with his disciples. It's you know, two days before he goes to the cross. And then he, he shares all this stuff with them about what's going to happen when he dies and after he, di after he dies when he gets resurrected, goes into heaven, and, and how that's all going to play out. But he talks them, to them, explaining his love for them. Now, this is what we're going to be looking through at church. We're going through, we usually go through books of the Bible, and we're going to go through the, the second half of John from now. We're going to end up at Easter, remembering Jesus' death and resurrection for us. But I want to just give you a taster this morning on the sort of things that we're going to be pushing into to understand how Jesus invites us into his world and shows us how we are fully loved through that. 
And he talks about, uh, so John recounts the story sitting with Jesus and how Jesus explains what this is going to look like. Uh, but he says things like, I'm going, to, I'm going to a place, my father has a house with many rooms and I'm going to prepare a room for you. It's like, if we know Jesus, believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, God has a place for me. It's like Jesus saying, you know me, you know my father, and you're included in the family. Jesus says lots of things about, uh, if you know me, you know my father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you believe in me, the father accepts you. We're a part of the family, that we're on the inside. And this is so much bigger than what we can ever imagine. I have a friend who's a pastor uh, in Sydney, uh, a guy called Ray Galea, and he tells a story of back in the 80s. He was a big Cole Chisel fan. And if you know Cole Chisel, back in the 80s, they were the rockin' band, Aussie rockin' band around. He was such a big fan that he wanted to meet him. He went to one of the concerts, and he knew somebody who looked after the backstage area in the facility. So he's like, man, if I could just get around there, get something signed, meet the guys, that would be awesome. So after the concert, he hangs around, and he comes, uh, waits for the sign, and the guy says, hey, come over. And he just wants to meet Jimmy Barnes and the band. So he goes to the door, gets let to the door, and uh, gets signed. There's everything you'd imagine, he says. Jimmy Barnes is there. The band's there. Everything you'd imagine. After a concert, they're feeling good. They're having drinks. It's like just amazing moment just to witness, he says. I'm at the door. They said, oh, here's a couple of guys want, want some merchandise signed. Jimmy Barnes says, hey, mate, come on in. Sorry, hey, mate, come on in, if you know how Jimmy sings. Come on in. It's like, really? It's like, we're allowed in the same rooms, Jimmy Barnes, cold chisel? So they go on in. And he goes, hey, come and grab a seat. He's invited to sit right next to Jimmy Barnes. It's like, how cool is this? Sitting down next to Jimmy Barnes. And then he says, do you want a drink? Yeah, it's got a bit of an English accent, sorry. I want a drink. So he gives him a cup. Jimmy Barnes is pouring him a drink. And he's like, how did this ever happen? I'm not just at the door. I'm not just in the room. I'm not just sitting beside him. But I've got Jimmy Barnes, my hero, pouring me a drink. How good is this? Not one of the, the stage guys, not one of the servants. Jimmy Barnes is pouring me a drink. How good is this? And he goes, he, the way he tells the story, he says, if that's what uh, Cole Chisel is like, how good it will be to get to heaven when we're with the saints. We're in the kingdom. But we're in that room. God set up this house for us and we're there. Because Jimmy's like, if you're a friend of this guy, the stage guy, you're a friend of ours. Come on in. Jesus says, you're a friend of mine. You're a friend of the Father's. Come on in. You're a part of the family. And he fleshes that out. This is what it's like. This is the amazing life, to be fully loved. Jesus sits his disciples down in a circle and says to them, hey, I'm going to wash your feet. Puts on an apron, pulls out a, a bucket and starts washing their feet. You've got to think, first century Roman Empire, they've been walking the streets with donkeys and dogs all doing their stuff all on the street. You don't want to touch people's feet. Actually, you have servants that do that job for you. Jesus says, no, I'm going to serve you guys by washing your feet clean. That's fully loved. Some of them go, hey, this is awkward. I don't want to do that. And he goes, no, no, I'm going to do this because I'm going to show you what I'm about to do, something much greater than washing your feet. I'm going to wash your heart. I'm going to become your servant again and go to the cross and die the death you deserved. And through that death, 
Your heart is going to be washed clean. Jesus comes as a servant for us. If you want to know what fully loved looks like, when somebody lays their own life down for you, when somebody serves you in that way, it's like, why are you doing this for me? But that's what Jesus does. Jesus then goes on to explain how believing in him, uh, he will send you his spirit. So his spirit will live in us, uh, the Holy Spirit, and through that we are one with the Father and Son. And he starts using this language about being one with the Father and Son relationally. And it's language that we might often hear at weddings. You know, at weddings, two become one and they make promises to each other, vows to you, I'll never leave you, forsake you, I'll, you know, through richer, for poorer, till death to us. I'm there till the end, we say at the wedding. Jesus uses similar language. I'm there for you. And he even shows it. I'm there for you to be fully loved. I will serve you. I'll become your servant. What you don't have, I'll make sure I feel that for you. I will never leave you through your loneliness. I'll be there for you. He took our loneliness on the cross so we could be a part of the family. I'll be there for you. I will never give up. Your room is there with your name on it. No matter what you do when you trust in Jesus, no matter what you do, he's going to lose that room. He's not going to kick you out. That's the assurance we get when we're fully loved. It's all the things we want to experience through something like marriage. We want somebody who we can be safe with, to trust, who's got our back, who's going to make me a better person. That's what Jesus says. This is what I'm about for you. I will do that. And we will be one, one with God. The difference this makes, and you might have noticed, there's never in this journey, Jesus talks about you need to be more religious. You need to do more of uh, traditional practices. You need to be more Jewish or you need to be more any of those things. But he always says, just trust in me, believe in me, because it's a relationship. And when the relationship is this, it's like this, that we experience fully love, then we get to experience what it's like to be fully loved and like what we might say in a marriage, when we know we're accepted for who we are, we can relax. We don't have to pretend to be someone we're not. We don't have to be someone trying to to raise the bar and impress the other person all the time, but I can just be me. I want to live to please them. I want to serve them. I want to glorify them. I want to do what I can for them to point to them. But I can be myself. See, it's our side here, because we're family, because we're a culture, we want to say, we want to be genuine. Don't pretend to be someone you're not, that you can relax, that you can show bumps and bruises, scars from the past, and we can work through that together. Because that's what Jesus does for us. We don't have to be fake pretenders, but we come to him in safety and security. And we want to be a church that we're safe and secure for anybody Because we all come from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different religious backgrounds, different belief systems. But we come here around Jesus, and that's what unites us. And it's not just this head knowledge, but we want to say, no, our God is real. If this is just philosophy and theory, we're wasting our time. But if God is real and we experience this, this will change your life. It'll change your life. So let me encourage you to do two things. One is do what Ben said. If you're just interested in Jesus, you're not sure if you fully understand who he is, even if you call yourself a Christian, you go, oh, I just need to go to a deeper understanding about who this Jesus is and how he changes my world. Sign up for the life course. 
Try the first one. Try the first couple. See how you go with that. Or if you want to be on the journey with us the next eight weeks or so till Easter, come along to church. So we might uh, go on this journey together. What does Jesus mean when he washes his disciples' feet? What does that mean for me now? What does he mean when he talks about the rooms? What does he mean when he talks about where we're one? How am I fully loved now and fulfilled in the future? That's going to be an exciting journey I'm looking forward to. That starts next week as well. But it's really important for us to know Jesus and that's what we're about. I'm going to pray now that uh, God will help us uh, to, in this sort of journey of discovery to draw near to him, to know him, but to also experience what it means to be known and to be fully loved. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we just thank you. Thank you that you're concerned for us. And sometimes we do feel lonely, left out and even rejected. Sometimes we think that uh, religion has no answers but just raises a whole lot of problems. But Lord, we just pray to you now for each of us that for the questions we have, that you'd help us to find answers. That for the relationship we're after, that you would help us to experience that in you. The love that we all desire, that we will know that through Jesus. Lord, help us in our journeys, help us through conversations, help us a church that enjoys that together and that we might transform our community in love. Your love, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.